0: So glad you have joined us for another episode of the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. I'm here again with my co-host, Leslie Bennett, and our Family Church CFO, Scott Crawford, giving you the business on church business.
1: I sure hope our listeners are learning a lot. I know I am, and it's a lot more fun to talk about than I thought it would be. Are oh, you wow. having fun, Scott? <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah, I sure am. You know, I love what I do here at Family Church, and it's even better that I get to do it alongside of some really great people.
1: So speaking of the people who work at Family Church, that is our topic for today, our seventh principle straight from our pastor, hire the best people that you can afford. I really think we should take that as a compliment, don't you, Scott?
2: I don't know. At several points in my life, I drove the best car I could afford, but I'm not sure that was really a compliment to the manufacturer. <laughs> but but I guess we'll just take it as a compliment and keep going.
0: There yeah, you just go. take it. Just believe the best, man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Hey, all joking aside, I really do believe in this principle. Actually, both of you are evidence of this principle. It is cheaper to pay more for good people than it is to find more cheap people.
1: Well, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Cheap people, less expensive people, maybe we should have said that. That might be better. That might be a better way to word it. So how do we usually go about, um, or how do churches generally go about hiring people? What is our process? In yeah. general, and ours specifically.
2: Yeah, I think there's probably several camps that most churches fall under, and one is kind of a higher, cheap, high churn model. Mm-hmm. And in that model, what they're doing is they're really looking for inexperienced leaders, or maybe they have a low fixed salary range. But the understanding is they're going to have high turnover in that model, and it's okay. That's they do, they do that by design. A lot of
0: really large
2: churches do that. that's right, and they know that, and they use it as a as a ground for bringing in young or new talent, and then they develop that talent, and then they go on to bigger and better things. As as
0: churches near seminaries and Bible colleges do the same thing. That's
2: right. That's right. Another model is they kind of focus on making the money go towards ministry. So what they're really looking for is they really just kind of need a warm body to fill a role, but they really have all their money is really going into ministry. And then the last one would be more like us is where we say people are the church's greatest resource and they're viewed as the ones actually doing the ministry and then you compensate them accordingly. Now, it's important to note that each of these models really has pros and cons both from a financial and management perspective. But as we said, at Family Church, we really advocate for the third option, believing that hiring the best people we can afford and then making ongoing investments in them is really the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, and that's really important for the type of culture that we're trying to build here at Family Church. I heard another pastor of a large church in Alabama say that his philosophy is to hire five people, get them to do the work of eight, and pay them like ten. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Hey, well, it's important because we want to have the best people. We want to have the most excellent people. And we want people to feel when they work here like our church is doing the best for them that we can. So part of what happens when a church compensates pastors or employees is the church is sending them a message. Every time you get a paycheck, the church is sending you a message every time, time for bonuses or raises come around because the church is saying, here's one of the ways that we value what you are, are doing here. And if you hire the kind of people who have options, this is important to send those kinds of messages because if they have options and after a while they feel like, Hey, I'm really not Appreciated here, maybe I'm not even really a good fit here. Maybe I should be looking for a place where I'd be a better fit where I'd be more uh, more appreciated but Scott finding the best people is really difficult, especially for a lot of churches. How do we go about doing that? Sure,
2: like everyone else, you know we have some basic uh, baseline skill sets and competencies that are required for any position and and we do all the traditional talent searches, like we use our network relationships, we post a, open positions on our website. But truthfully, at Family Church, we found that many times some of the best staff members come right out of our own congregation. You know, these people are uh, typically people who've already bought into the mission and vision of our church. They understand and embrace our multi-site, multicultural, multi-generational model, and often are some of our most engaged people. They're already investing in Family Church with their time and their financial resources. In fact, just in our network resources department alone— all the directors at every role occupied by someone who is already a member and serving in one capacity or another before they came on staff.
1: That's so good. And we just hired a new person. I loved when we introduced her just the other day, and she said, it really was you know, the life change that I'm seeing at my family church campus that motivated me to take this position. And she is a great hire. She has a lot of experience, and yet she's motivated by the mission and vision of our church. And I think that that's true for so many of us. I feel like that's true of me um been in this church since 1993 and Scott I think you have me beat on that you've been just
2: by a couple of years okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah by about 15 about
1: 15 <laughs> yeah. you basically grew up here so we've believed a long time in this church and in what we're doing we believe even more now that we have our pastor Jimmy Scroggins we are fully bought into the vision that we have for a network of neighborhood churches and so many people that we hire that's why they come Because first, their motivation is to be on mission with us. And then they want to use their skills to help us do what we're doing. So how do we determine once we get these people, find these kind of people, highly motivated, on-mission people, how do we determine what we should pay them? I'm really interested to know the answer to this, yeah. by the <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, first, we think it's important to have a clear job description. That really allows you to do some comparable analysis to help determine what others in that role are earning. And then we use that data to create a salary range. Once we have the range, then we overlay the compensation philosophy that we outlined in that previous podcast we talked about when we talked about setting compensation for the senior pastor. Mm -hmm. That philosophy helps us guide the range that we want the salary to be within. And That's why having a philosophy is so important. There's a positive discernible layered or ripple effect on the rest of the organization. So whatever you do for the senior pastor really does have kind of a trickle down effect. And then last, we would supplement the salary with all the other compensation elements like benefits, allowances, retirements, et cetera. You know, the cheapest money you spend in any organization is getting the right person. And that's especially true for good leaders. Mm -hmm. It's true for the lead pastor. It's true for your worship leader, your student pastor, your kids pastor, and so on. You know, good leadership also usually comes at a premium. And the higher up you go in leadership, the more often that's actually true. Last thing I like to talk about for just a minute is the impact to an organization for losing a good leader. You know, various studies have been done on attrition, and they report that cost to be somewhere in the range between 16 and 200 percent based on the level of leadership that you're talking about. So, practically speaking, there are tangible and intangible costs the church incurs when this happens. Some of the tangible examples are recruitment costs. You're going to fly someone in, you're going to take them out to dinner, you're going to have to pay for hotels, there's relocation expenses. These are all cost of replacement and attrition. And then some intangible examples are the time you spend doing interviews, the time you spend recruiting, the emotional energy you expend doing that, the leadership capital and cultural impact. On your church, and then just practically speaking, the loss of productivity, uh, and then uh, that's that goes along with new higher training.
0: And the reason why that's so important is because if we don't. Treat people well as well as we can, and you have good people. And here's what here's what I want. It doesn't matter if you're a single staff church, you have part time people, whatever it is. If you're a pastor with no other employees, you might want to pass this podcast along to your personnel committee or who are your deacons. River sets your compensation because look, if you have a good person with skills, they're going to be in demand. And if you have a person that's in demand, you're going to have to compensate them and treat them well or and they have to believe in the vision like you said Leslie or they're not going to say so uh, we talk about that all the time it's so much cheaper to spend a little money to retain an employee than it is to go find a new one, and plus, just the loss of productivity is so big because when when you have an employee who's spun up and knows everybody and knows the system and they're ready to go, and then they leave, you have to bring somebody in. Even if you have somebody that's ready to come in right now, that you bring them in, it's going to take them maybe two years before they meet everybody and figure out how to do their job before they can catch back up to the level that you're at before the person left. So all of this goes to retention, and I think it's just vital. That's right, and and we're not talking when we talk about this. We're not talking about blowing up your
2: salary model or, or blowing up your salary ranges, but in most cases, a little more money actually goes a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, you always because it's take, the message. That's right, it is. And we talked about this before. You're sending a message, whether it's a positive one or not so positive one. You are sending a message every time you get a paycheck uh, or send out a paycheck, and you know you always take a hit when you lose a good person. So if you've got a student guy, for example, who's doing a great job and say he's making $40,000, and he gets an offer for 50,000, well, digging in and trenching and and stiffening your back and saying, well, listen, we're we're just not gonna do the extra 10,000. Well, how long do you think it'll take to find someone else who actually will work for that same $40,000? Because the market's constantly changing, as Pastor Jimmy said, to get good people who are in high demand. If that's what it takes to get someone, you're gonna end up paying that anyway, Only you're going to do it at at another cost to you. And by the time you pay the the 45 to 50 to get the new guy, now you've lost a couple of families, perhaps, that have Mm -hmm. gone somewhere else. You've lost the relationship capital. Uh, As Pastor said, you've lost the political capital, so the person who knows – how to get things done, how your systems work, You know how your DNA and how all that uh, spins up in your environment, all, all that's now gone and it's it's got to be replaced over time. And
1: Yeah, and it's not just salary though too, Scott. I mean, there's a lot of other ways that we can send messages to people, which I feel like we try to do, just investing in their personal development, be it their education or something that they need. One of the questions that I learned to ask is, are there any um, barriers that you need knocked down? Is there any support that you need me to give as a leader And how can I come alongside you and help, help improve you? And that also sends a message, don't you think?
2: No, that's so true. You know, one of the things, most people tend to think that, well, if we just throw money at it, it fixes it. And you often find that actually that's not the case at all. So it's important to have a healthy salary range, but sometimes just letting them leave an afternoon early or letting them go to their kid's kindergarten graduation, you know, being able to meet people at their point of need. And uh, figuring out what their currency is, everyone has something that's that comes across as currency to mm. them uh We learned that even in our parenting you know for right. our for our eleven year old when we need something done, or we're trying to reward him, we're trying to do it in a way in something that matters to him, and that's true of employees as well. As well, if you can come alongside them in a way that's meaningful to them in their specific situation,
0: that goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I'd love and to And I hear. think
0: compelling vision too is vital. So, like one of the reasons that both of you ended up working at Family Church, yes, you get paid, and that's part of your family's kind of financial picture as is mine, but you guys came here because of the vision. So Leslie, you could have worked a lot of different places. You have worked other places, but you came here because you wanted to be a part of the vision. Scott, you came from Hewlett Packard. You were in the corporate world for a long time. You had a really good career. You came here because you want to be a part of the vision. And both of you guys were hired as lay people. Leslie, you and your husband, George, have been involved for a long time at family church, leaders, serving, teaching, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Mission trips, Scott, same. Uh, You and Sandy. Sandy been on staff here before. Uh, You grew up here. Uh, You were the chairman of the finance committee when I came here as a pastor. And so it just, the vision, it has to be compelling. And then if you combine a compelling vision with a caring environment, and look, it doesn't matter because some of, I'm afraid some of our listeners are going to listen to this and say, oh, because family church has all this money. So they just pay all this money. Okay. It is true that the bigger the budget, the more you can pay people, but it doesn't matter because it's the message. So when I worked for First Baptist Church in Shepherdsville, uh, Kentucky, and I was a part-time youth pastor as a 23-year-old, they paid me an appropriate amount for a part-time (laughs) 23-year-old seminary student to be the pastor at a church that ran about 200 and had a youth group of 40, okay? They paid me an appropriate amount. I was thrilled to death with what they paid me. I thought it was awesome. I was very grateful for it, and to this day, I look back and go, "Wow, they really blessed Kristen and me when we were first married by giving me a job." I had actually they paid me a little bit of money and gave me health insurance. Well, at the time when you're young and Kristen had health insurance with her job, then I had that was a big deal. They sent me a really powerful message: "Hey, we want you to be here." Even when I left there, they wanted me to stay in in a family in the church because they didn't have a lot. You know, small church. Family in the church said, hey, we actually have an apartment above one of our businesses. Would if, if we could give you that apartment for free, would you consider staying here? So these people were sending messages all day long. And then when I worked in uh, inner city church in Evansville, Indiana, again, a church without a large budget, they didn't pay me a lot of money, but they sent me all kinds of messages. We want you here. And what I wanted to know is not so much can you match what a larger church or a different church can pay, but do you want me as much as they do. Not not because I have to be wanted, but just like, do you value what I'm doing? Am I a part of the team here in, in an important way? And I think a lot of... If you're in the ministry, very few people are in the ministry for the money. That's right. Right? If you're in the ministry, you're in it for the mission and the vision and the people that you get to work with and what you get to do. And if you can make that all attractive... I think that can be done at any level in any size church.
1: Yeah, and doesn't really cost any money because it's no. just motivating ministry minded people by the things that we are motivated by. Like for me, you know, having to believe in something is so important to me. I mean, I really would do what I'm doing for a lot less money because, that. No, no, no. because I love it so much and because I feel, you know, there's such a value to me on being able to do the things that God's called me to do and gifted me to do. And it's not necessarily, I mean, Scott and I don't do in our jobs. I know we both do front-facing ministry as we serve at our churches, but in our jobs, we don't do front-facing ministry. And I think it's so important that we can feel like we're still a part of the life change that we see happening every single day.
2: Sure. No, that's absolutely right. And and Jimmy said on a number of occasions from the platform on, on a Sunday morning, different occasions, you know what, he's grateful to work here for a salary but he would he would figure out a way to do this even if he wasn't getting right. paid and i think that i think that permeates throughout our organization people love being here the culture that we've built here jimmy's right the the vision and the mission are very compelling we were all actively serving and engaged in that mission uh, long before we came on staff and, and we would be afterwards as well you're right
0: yeah well scott some of folks are probably listening to this and they're like man i got to think a little bit more intentionally and strategically about how we compensate employees at our church and all employees whether it's a whether it's a, a somebody who does like maintenance and custodial work or whether it's somebody that is a, a numbers cruncher and doing some kind of a data input whether it's a a ministry assistant of some type student pastor children's pastor everybody All of this matters, and all of these people, you need people to do all of these things. What are some resources that we can recommend to our listeners? Sure. Uh, MinistryPay.com is a good source. Uh, ChurchLawAndTax.com.
2: LifeWay has a compensation study, and the Leadership Network also has some great tools that are out there that help give give churches some ideas of what an appropriate salary range is for a specific position uh, given for your context.
0: Well, I'm really grateful, Scott and Leslie, because I think these podcasts on the business on church business have been some of the most helpful ones we've ever done. I think these can actually spur people on and make entire churches more effective in their own neighborhoods to reach people for Jesus. So, Leslie, let's go through the Seven items on the business on church business. Number one,
1: know your bylaws. Number
0: two, lawyer up. Number three,
1: pay for an outside audit.
0: Number four, set the senior pastor's compensation. Number five,
1: be prepared to manage risk.
0: Number six, cash flow is king, Scott. Number seven, hire the best people you can afford. And next week, it's not original, but it's true for church too. Hire slow, fire fast. See you next week. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to church for the rest of us.